0: God is the great I am of all the Spanish speakers and all the English speakers. Amen? Amen. Now think about this. Every language you could possibly come up with and think of, he's the God of those people too. And what's amazing about what we're doing here in the church, actually this passage leads right into this. God is building one new family out of all the families of the earth, and he's been doing it since the dawn of time. So man, it's fun to be led in those songs. You know what's cool about this is every single week, in our band, we have people who think primarily their love language is Spanish, and some who their love language, their primary language is English. And so when they get emotional and they're singing uh, the great I am, some are thinking, what is it? El gran yo soy? What is it? Yeah, and that's what's pouring out of them. They're like, that's what's coming out of it. See, Andres just gave me an amen from the back. And um, and I tell people all the time, we're not a bilingual church. A bilingual church means it's even Stephen, right? Everything is done back and forth. We don't do that. We celebrate that some here have a superpower of speaking two languages. Um, some have a single power of speaking just English. And some of you question that sometimes, um, but, uh, but we, just, we just celebrate that God is uh, what God is doing, and it fits here in our neighborhood. Listen, turn to John chapter 14. That's where we're going to be. And if you're a paper person, um, pull out your, your handout and write in that. If you're a digital person, then, um, then pull out the notes that way. And I'm going to open my sermon notes so that we get moving on stuff instead of me just up here uh, talking away. It's Memorial Day weekend, and um, right now our roadways are probably clogged. Millions of people are traveling all over the place, right? And, um, and there are some people who are uh, getting lost, some who are probably looking for directions. Uh, some people on the roads right now are overconfident travelers, and they say, I know exactly where I am, thank you very much, even though they probably don't. Um, Some are really tepid drivers and they're fearful and they're wondering where they are at all times Even if they don't really need to in fact, I would say this there's probably a continuum Of let's call some people over here are what we would call directionally challenged Right, and then one of my kids I have the nickname of giving one of my kids gps I call little eli gps because he'll be like, oh, I know where we are. We go left up here and I'm like, you've been here once, and you were like three. How did you know that? And I've tested him over and over, and he's just really good with, with directions. So don't answer this for your spouse, your friend, your roommate. Don't nudge. Don't be the Holy Spirit for other people. Just assess yourself. Are you directionally challenged, or are you more of a GPS-type person? Okay, I'm not going to take a poll, because I don't want you to lie or feel like you need to. But some of, you know where you are. You know where you fit on the directionally challenged or GPS. What's true in our physical world is true in other worlds as well. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. There are some of you who, if there is a party tonight, you could get there with your eyes closed. You would just know. When someone tells you where it is, you're like, got it. And you just like, boom, you can get there. But the moment you get there, you are completely lost. You walk in, you have no idea how to connect with people, you have no idea what to say, what are the protocols, and once you get there, you were GPS getting there, right? But once you get there, what are you? You are relationally, directionally challenged. Make sense? So there's a whole inner world, there's a whole interconnected world that goes on, and just because we're good at knowing where we are, we can be exceedingly lost even though we know, coordinate-wise, kind of where we are. So if we talk about directions this morning, and sort of think this through, I want you to think in more ways than just some of you are like my dad. My dad was logical, sequential, he made a great engineer. And I'm going to talk in ways that are here in front of us, but also peripheral, just all kinds of different ways that this applies. So directions matter, do they not? The one you ask for directions matters. Knowing that you are lost matters. Admitting you are lost matters. And the road that we choose matters. It matters what road we choose because the road you are on right now, think about this, the road you are on right now is taking you to where you are going. The road you are on right now is taking you to where you are going. Some of you may have read or watched Lewis Carroll's classic Christian tale, Alice in Wonderland. Here's a little exchange between Cheshire Cat and Alice. It goes like this. Alice says this, would you please tell me which way I ought to go from here? That depends a good deal on where you want to get to, said the cat. I don't much care where, said Alice. The way you go, said the cat. So long as I get somewhere, Alice added as an explanation. Oh, that you are sure to do, said the cat. If only you walk long enough. We're all going to end up somewhere, right? I mean, that's a foregone conclusion. Some of you right now, financially, relationally, spiritually, ethically, politically, What am I leaving out? A whole bunch, physically. Or maybe wondering, how did I get here? How did I get here? Well, here's a really simple answer. You turn around and look back at the road you have been on. The path that you are on. Which way is of vital importance? to your future self. In fact, I would say this, which way you are going, the path you are on is actually vital to way more people than just you. I had this dream, this idea that I was driving a car and I had 10 passengers in it. Now that's not so far-fetched because I drive an 11-passenger van. I have 10 passengers in my car, and the road I'm driving is sometimes smooth. It's sometimes bumpy. At times, I'm driving, and I'm in bumper-to-bumper traffic. At other times, it's exhilarating and efficient, and I'm sort of flying down the road. And the choices I make as a driver of that vehicle have huge consequences for those who are buckled up and on the journey with me. As a driver of that vehicle, I have a huge responsibility to everyone else in that car. Does it matter which way I go? Yeah, not just to me, but to a host of others. Does it matter whether I'm attentive or attentive on the journey? Yes, and not just for me. You see, I'm a head of a household. I will stand before God one day. And I will give account to where I drove my family, where I led my family, what path I took with my family. And let me tell you the lame excuses that will not work on that day. Offering up a lame excuse about being busy at work, trying to provide for them, that will not excuse me for taking paths that I should not be taking my family down. Whining about a broken GPS and navigational systems of others or how I really hate asking for directions. It's not my thing. That's not going to hold water on that day. How about driving drunk? Because I just kind of need to take the edge off a little bit. I have a lot of pressure on my job. So yes, I was a little tipsy, but it wasn't my fault. Do you know how all of those will just fall by the wayside in that moment? Friends, it matters the road that we are on, not just for us, but for people around us, all the people around us. How does Jesus describe those who are not his? Listen to how sobering this is. He describes them, one of the ways, is lost. There are lost people. Who's lost and who's found? It's simple. Those who are in Christ are found. Those who are lost are those who are not yet found in Christ. Jesus said something really sobering by saying this, when talking about and thinking about lost, it's worse than that they're simply confused. Because we use that term in a, like terminology as well. They're just kind of lost. They're a little bit, you know, confused. It's actually that they're in dire danger. Jesus said this, I came to seek and to save those who are lost. I didn't just come to seek and correct them. They're not sitting in the library getting the math problem wrong right they are on the precipice of extreme danger dire danger i came to seek and save the lost why because the lost those who are apart from the good shepherd cannot survive on their own so what we're talking about today is of highest and most urgent importance even if it doesn't feel that way in the moment and that's part of how life is the moment before you crash and fall asleep at the wheel feels like just any, like any other moment driving But in that one moment, that's the most important moment that it would have been good to stay awake and stay on the road. Proverbs 14, 12, we'll come back to this again and again. Just jot this down. Actually, it's in your notes. Circle it. Proverbs 14, 12, listen to this. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death of death. Man, I love the song we just sang. It's so fitting for kind of where we've been in our series. You know, God reveals himself to us because without God revealing himself to us, we are hopelessly lost. We're in the dark. We're confused. We are groping around trying to figure out what God would be like. Jesus comes on the scene and he lets people know that he's God. In fact, the terms that he uses are so certain that that's eventually what got him murdered. That is the sole reason he was murdered, because he was making himself out to be God. He was asked who he was, sometimes in amazement. Like, who are you that speaks to nature and it just obeys? Other times she was asked who he was in disgust. Who do you think you are? And I come across people every week who are in both of those camps. They don't know who Jesus is. Some are coming in amazement. Is that really true? Could someone be like that? Some are coming in pure disgust. Who do you think you are naming the name of Jesus? One of the ways that he explains his identity are these seven, what are called the I am statements. They're found in the gospel of John. We're working our way through them. We're on number six today. This idea of I am is no small statement. It is hearkening back to Yahweh revealing himself in name and actions to the ancient Jewish people. In this mind-bending display of how weak our language is to sort of contain and describe an eternal God. God does this with sort of future past present word use. He says, before Abraham was, what is it? I am. Now, the reason that should make your brain hurt, right, is that we don't have a category. As part of the created order, we don't even have places to store information about God because it's too big for us. We hunt and we hunt and we hunt. We go, where can I put that information? Before Abraham was, got it. He's the founder of our, of our people and he's the, he's the great Abraham. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the eternal present. That's how he reveals himself. When we think about God, if we're part of the created order, and so that's why we will never, of course, fully understand or be able to explain God, God is the creator of all that. So Genesis says, in the beginning, God. God was. That's how the Bible begins. Part of why I love art so much is art steps in and it helps us where language fails. Music does that for sure. Look at this line from a hymn. It says, O light that knew no dawn, that shines to endless day. We already looked at Jesus as the light of the world. There is a light that doesn't dawn, that doesn't have an initial starting point, that always was. Night that knew no dawn. That's who we're talking about. That's who Jesus is attaching his identity to. I am. So again, as he makes these statements, don't breeze past the first two words. In God in the Docks, C.S. Lewis writes this. What are we to make of Christ? There's no question of what we can make of him. It is entirely a question of what he intends to make of us. You must accept or reject the story. The things he says are very different from what any other teacher has said. Others say, this is the truth about the universe. This is the way you are to go. But he says, I am the truth and the way and the life. Huge difference, isn't it? I stand today as one who points to the truth, points to the way. I don't stand here today claiming to be the truth to be the way. Huge difference. These I am statements are so incredibly powerful. By way of review, let me say one sentence about each of of where they've been, because what they are is they're sort of seven, seven angles to look at Jesus. And angles isn't even the right thing. They are seven dimensions to Jesus. Because as we sort of dive into one of them, it's not just that we're rotating the diamond and seeing the light refract in a different way and go, wow, that's even more beautiful than the first. It's that there are seven dimensions that make our brain hurt when we compile them together. So he started off as bread of life. As bread of life, Jesus nourishes and satisfies us. As light of the world, Jesus is the guide to the lost and to the Confused. As door of the sheep, Jesus proves himself authentic, and he provides liberty and covering to come and go, to go out and find pasture, to come in and find rest. As the good shepherd, Jesus cares for us sheep by being good. He's the good shepherd, and he's in control. As the resurrection and the life, Jesus offers a different life to us right now now. I am the resurrection, Mary. Not I will be someday. I am. Do you see it? It's present. It's not something even that's coming. It's here talking to you. Today we're looking at I am the way, the truth, and the life. I had someone come to me this morning. This is one of my favorite passages. Me too. This is so good. I'm so excited to preach this. All right, so with the question of which way, In all of its ramifications, right? Not just directions to where you're going after church today, but broader than that, the direction your life is pointing. With the idea of which way in our minds, I want us to read the text. We're going to start in John 14. We're just going to look at the first seven verses. And I want you to notice all of the directional language in here. If you pick it up from a few verses before where Peter initiates the question, where are you going? Peter always seems to initiate stuff. The language is where, follow, go, come, to, way. All these sort of directional languages. So here we go. John 14, one says this, Jesus talking. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. All right. Aside from the huge claim of deity that he just stated, we'll set that aside because that's not the focus this morning. Let me just provide some context. Here's the night so far. Okay. We haven't read this this morning, but this is in your text. You can go back and read it. So far, there's been shame at the fact that they didn't offer to stoop and do the servant's chore of washing feet. Who did? Their Lord and master, the one who just claimed to be God, the great I am. That's who did it. So in a shame-honor culture, that was huge. That's laying on them. That sort of emotional layer is on, is on them. There's also the idea that they're horrified because someone's going to betray them. Jesus has already initiated that conversation about Judas, who would go on and stab the back of Jesus in just a a short amount of time. And just a moment earlier, they're shocked that their most courageous person, Peter, who said, Lord, I'm ready to follow you right now. And Jesus says, you can't follow where I'm going. You will be able to. By the way, you're going to train wreck here in just a a short time. You're going to deny me three times. These are the layers, sort of the emotional, you know, coat one of the paint, coat two of the paint. These are the emotions swirling around here. And then they see in their master sort of a ramped up sense with Jesus. John uniquely gives us all this dialogue that goes on in these last few hours of Jesus' life. In fact, half of this gospel is sort of steered towards this last passion portion. And you know how you can tell in a parent if you're a child? You can tell in someone who's your leader if you've ever been out on an excursion. You're like, the only one who knows remotely where we are and what's going on and what should keep us safe is that person. And if that person begins to look troubled, how do you feel? doubly so. <laughs> Wait a minute, if you're troubled, if I'm out with Bear grills on a cliff and he looks nervous, I'm really nervous. So Jesus is troubled. He's, he's sort of amping up. And into this, as they read sort of all this, the time has come, he's starting to use all this language, into this, Jesus speaks peace. He speaks comfort over them. And is there a promise? Yes. Right, and, you know, where I'm going, in my father's uh, place, there's a place for you, all this stuff. But more than that, I think the way he comforts them is with himself. By revealing another layer of who I am. Think about this for a second. I pray all the time for comfort for things. I pray all the time, God, take these anxieties from me. What if, what if one of the main ways God wants to comfort me in those times is simply to say, look at me get to know me. What's enough for you in this moment are not all of these little sort of smaller side questions. Lift your gaze, look at me, here's who I am. I don't know about you, I've heard a lot of feedback. I do know about you, some of you. (laughs) It's been an amazing series. We already knew it would be because it's always amazing to turn our gaze to God. Always. Always. It's always amazing to turn our gaze to God, but to see these different I am statements, the way that they speak into the everydayness of life has been utterly profound. Do not let your hearts be troubled, he says. Trust in God, believe in God, believe also in me. All right, so here's the wildly great news I have for you. Everyone in this room is directionally challenged in some way every one of you. No one's off the hook. And here's the wildly great news. Your directional challenges, your lostness, your confusion is found in the person of Jesus. It's just that simple. If you want to sort of have the sermon in one sentence, here it is. I don't even have this on a screen. You just have to listen carefully. The way is a person the way is a person. If you want bonus credits, write this down. You know the way because you know Jesus. You know the way because you know Jesus. I opened with that slide. Which way? Man, we have, we are filled with which way. Where should I go? This way or that way? That person or that person? This job or that job? Move, don't move. You know the way because you know Jesus. Here's what I want to do. I want to take a few moments to sort of consider the way of things. I want to consider the way of things. All around us, in every facet of our lives, the path is preaching. The path people are on is proclaiming loudly what's going on. If we're, if we're able to stop and pay attention. There is a way that seems right to a man, Proverbs 14 says, but its end is the way of death. Let me throw some categories out to you, okay? And we'll sort of just think about it for a minute. We'll consider the way of things. Think about different institutions. So the first institution created by God in the scriptures is found in Genesis. It's the institution of marriage. How is marriage going? That's a really big question. Let's bring it down to how a specific marriage is going. Kids, how are your parents' marriage going? Those of you who are married, how's it going? Those of you who hope to one day be married, who are you looking to to say, I think that person is on a path that I want to avoid. That's the path that leads to death. I don't want to be on that path. I have hopes and dreams and understanding of how marriage is, and I don't want to be on that path, but I'm not entirely sure of what path I want to be on. How is marriage going? The path you are on is preaching. It is proclaiming loudly. How about churches and synagogues and mosques and tabernacles? Religious institutions. The path that that religious institution is on is preaching all the time. It is proclaiming all the time, this is what we're about, this is where we're going, this is what we are doing. Is it the path that leads to life, or is it the path that leads to death? How about government? What path is the government currently on? Where has it been? How did we get here? Most of the time when we talk about politics, we say, who's to blame? Right? How about business? If you work for a company, what path are they on? Man, the path that they're on, the way they are conducting themselves in business, what goes on behind closed doors meetings, memos that come out, they are preaching what they're all about. We can't claim innocence and say, I had no idea these people were so corrupt. You've worked for 10 years in the company. Yeah, you do. You're only fooling yourself. How about nonprofits? I serve with Foster the Bay. Nonprofits aren't exempt from this, they're not immediately noble because they're nonprofit. Man, the corruption and the good that comes from, from nonprofit. There's a way that leads to death. It seems right, but its end is death. Let me keep going. How about the arts? The entertainment industry. Is art and entertainment, does that scream to you life or death? Again, giant categories, right? That's unfair. We have a, a, a serious artist in this room. I should say a serious trained artist. I believe we're all artists. I have some other artists in this room. One of them I'm related to. Um, the artists in the room say, well, wait a minute. what about me? What about this individual? That's why we look at art. We look at bands. We look at music. We look at movies. It's good to ask these questions. What is the path that they are on? I could go on and on. Healthcare, is it a path to life or is it a path to death? Uh, the financial institutions. Let's move on to emotions. Love. Is love a path to life or death? Doesn't it depend on what you mean by love? Who gets to define it? What are we talking about? Anger. Is there a way to be angry that leads to life and a way to be angry that leads to death? Absolutely. The Bible speaks so plainly about that. Fear. You know, one of the fears is that we're commanded to fear God. I imagine the disciples in the boat who said, who are you? After he calmed the storm with a word. I imagine there was the worshipful fear. Oh, like who's in the boat with us that talks to storms and nature and it obeys. But I also imagine it's just the good old run of the mill. Like uh, I'm not fearful of the storm anymore. Like who is in our boat? That's <laughs> freaking me out. How about anxiety and worry? How about doubt? Man, there's a way that seems right to a person. In the end, it's death. How about relationships, romantic relationships, professional relationships, family, friends, even your enemies? There's a way to treat your enemies that seems oh so right in the moment. And then we read a little passage that says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We see Jesus telling us to treat our enemies in a totally different way that appears death-giving at first. Do you see how all around in all these categories we could just go, wow, there are really different paths that people are on. There are different paths for me to take. And it's not a one-time decision. I walked an aisle, I'm following Jesus, now it's all done. We leave here, we go out with all the complexities of our relationship, we go with all the complexities of what triggers us and our anger. And in that moment, We can express and walk the path of the anger of man or what the scriptures say, be angry and yet do not sin and try to figure out which path we're on. So the path we're on, friends, is preaching. It's preaching to us. It's easier to look outside. That's why I wanted to start there. Those government leaders, those church leaders, school administrators, it's easier to look out there, but then let's turn the lens into us. All right, so we have a path crisis going on all these little ideas add up to big actions so consider your way in the quiet of this place even though you're sitting next to other people consider your way what's some of the cultural wisdom we get follow your dreams what does that mean follow your gut follow your nose Take the path that is least traveled. Yeah, that's the truth. Follow the path that's most traveled. Can anyone say Yelp reviews? Well, we're going to this restaurant. Why? Well, because 2.3 thousand people can't be wrong. Guess what? They were wrong. So what do you follow? How do you guide? Do you let love guide the way? What does that even mean? Always take you somewhere and you are where you are because of the path That you have been walking. How is it going? The rub in all of this is this I know I need directions, but I hate asking for directions. I hate admitting I need to ask for directions. Even worse than asking for them is following them. Once someone gives you a direction, you're like, that's not the advice I wanted to hear. If you come to me for advice, I will not let you off the hook by treating you like a child. You treat a child by making decisions for them. You come and say, is it this college or that college? This girl or that girl? Uh, move or don't move. What happens if the pastor makes that decision for you? You move to Nevada. Gee, there's sinners in Nevada that don't vote like you as well. And you're annoyed there as well. And all your inner turmoil, raging anger is still there with you in your home. Well, that pastor told me to move to Nevada. No, I didn't. You can't pin that on me because I will not tell you that. I will point you to the scriptures. I will dialogue with you, but I'm not going to give you the answer. The other rub might be this way. I know I need directions. I don't even mind asking for directions at all, but I'm so gullible, and I know that about myself, that I believe the first person I hear or I hear four different answers, every one of them seems equally plausible. I'm paralyzed. You be that person long enough, and eventually you say, I don't mind asking for directions. I know I'm lost. No problem admitting that. But no longer am I gullible. Now I'm suspicious. I'm hurt, and I'm wounded because I've been lied to, taken advantage of all my life, and now all I am is suspicious. And everything I hear, I, I immediately close off as, well, that's probably not the right way, and what's the angle? how am I being used in this? Any of this sound familiar? Man, this is where we are at. This is our culture. Of all the leadership books that I have on my shelf, and I've got a lot of them, I've only got one that specifically is on followership. Isn't it shocking how how few books there are on followership? Leadership sells really big. Go Google leadership books. Man, they're, they're abundant. Google things on how to follow well. No one wants to be a follower. It's kind of shocking. Following Christ by Joseph Stoll. My grandpa gave it to me when I was in college. I highly recommend it. Following Christ. Here's what he says. No generation has been more free to live autonomously than ours. In our enlightened environment, anything and everything is okay so long as it satisfies and doesn't inflict damage on another. Sound familiar? If independence were all it's cracked up to be, he writes, you would think that ours—you would think that our "lead your own life" culture would be overwhelmed with joy. Does that stand to reason? I mean, if this is the path of life, we should be overwhelmed with joy. Yet happiness, he writes, increasingly eludes Americans. I don't even know when this book was published. I read it when I was half my age. I am right now. It's not getting better. Anyone have Romans 12, 16 as their life verse? Let me see a raise of hand if anyone has that. Can I put that out as maybe a good life verse? Here's the, here's the last part of it. Ready? Never be wise in your own sight. Never be wise in your own sight. That's a good life verse. If you come to me and you're like, I don't have a life verse. I think I need one. I might just offer you this one. That's a good one. All right. So let's consider the way of Jesus together. You have four fill-outs, blanks in your your handout. The first one is this. Each of the one is going to just sort of fill in this sentence. The way is a person. Remember? The way is a person. The way is hard, narrow, and unpopular. Number one, the way is hard, narrow, and unpopular. Jesus says all kinds of things about this. Few will ever find it. Many will hear, but few will respond. Jesus laid the path out, and then he lived it, and that's actually what was true. How many Christians were there uh, at at the resurrection? Not many. Was Jesus a failure? Yes or no? Unequivocally no. But the way is hard. Hard and narrow, and unpopular. Governor Newsom was in San Jose this week, commenting on the horrific tragedy that went on a few miles from here. Sadly, when my hometown makes the news, it tends to be for negative kinds of things like this. And so this made the national news. Yet another shooter. He's responding to the second mass shooting in our county, in the last two years. And here's what he said. You probably heard him. He says, what the heck is going on in the United States of America? And then he asked this question, what the heck is wrong with us? When I saw Governor Newsom ask those questions, two things came across my mind. Number one is this, I'm really encouraged that the right question is finally being asked. I think what is wrong with us is the right question. Am I hopeful that all of this hurt and pain and confusion and endless cycle of death and negativity and violence and division will lead someone to other answers, including Governor Newsom? I am. I am hopeful. There is no one outside the reach of God. And in an instant, the light could come on for Governor Newsom to say, I'm not satisfied with these answers anymore that we've been piddling around with. Nothing is working. What is wrong with us? G.K. Chesterton wrote a book a long time ago, asking this question, what's wrong with the world? What's wrong with the world? His fundamental conclusion is this, us, sinners, me, I'm what's wrong with the world. And then he goes on to spell out the answer. The answer is that Jesus saves sinners like me. He restores and redeems us. That's what's wrong with the world, and that's what will always be wrong with the world, and that's the answer to the ails of the world. He writes this The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting, it has been found difficult and left untried. The way of Jesus is hard, it's narrow and it's unpopular. It is not that people have tried Jesus, been in relationship with the way and found it untenable, but just that it seems hard in the first place. So don't confuse easy with good. And let's do this. Let's not confuse hard with bad. Don't we pray sometimes? God, life is uncomfortable and hard. Where are you? Something must be wrong. A quick glance at the Scriptures and just considering the way, considering the path God called them to sheds light on the fact that hard does not equal bad all the time. Consider Moses. What was Moses? Moses was called to go to the biggest superpower of the day and then called to say, I'm going to take away your workforce. We're going to go in the desert and worship a God you don't even believe in. That was Moses' path. Easy or hard? Tell me. Hard. Comfortable or scary? That was the path. How about Jonah? Jonah was called to travel the hard road to his enemies on a mission of love and rescue. Jeremiah was called to preach to a people who he knew in advance wouldn't listen. Mary, the mother of Jesus was invited into the story by way of supernatural pregnancy. How unpopular is that? Pretty unpopular. You got some explaining to do, right? Like, how did this happen? These are the hard path of the heroes of the faith. Now, here's what's interesting. These and everyone like it. None of the ones who were invited into the way of God had this response. Sweet. That sounds really good, God. I've got this. None of them, what did all of them have in common? All of them had fear and trembling. Some of them immediately told God they had the wrong guy. How about him, right? One of them, Jonah, literally goes the other way. God says, I want you to go this way. Jonah says, right? He goes exactly the opposite way. Henry Blackaby writes this, some people say, God will never ask me to do something I can't do. Ever hear that? God will never ask you to do something that you can't do. He writes, I have come to the place in my life that if the assignment I sense God is giving me is something I know I can handle, I know it is probably not from God. There is a way that seems right to a man, and in the end it leads to where? To death. Not pish-posh, I was wrong, oh well, let's get on with life. To death! Friends, like, life and death is sitting before us. All right, number two. The way is knowable because it's revealed. The way is knowable because it's revealed. I already said this, that if God doesn't reveal himself to us, if we don't have a sense of what love actually is and looks like, not just by definition, by, but by example, we are groping in the dark. We are slaves of our emotion, of our upbringing. You say, well, I'm nothing like my upbringing. That's because you're running, you're doing exactly opposite of everything you were about upbring. You're still a slave of your upbringing. The way is noble because it's revealed. Any of you ever feel like Thomas in this story? (laughs) Verse 5, he's like, wait, what? We don't know the way you're going. Does anyone else, anyone else with me on this? Jesus just got done saying, you know the way I'm going. Thomas was like, time out. Come again with that, like, I'm going to come again part. Like, I do not know what you're talking about. Help us. Please don't leave us in the hands of Peter. If Peter's babysitting, we're all in trouble. What are you talking about, Jesus? Remember, this is near the end. He's been with Jesus for a long time at this point, up close and personal. You read a few verses before. Again, Peter wants to follow Jesus now. So he's on that discussion train as well. But Jesus said clearly, you know the way to where I am going. What he's laying out for his friends is what is given to us as well. You know me, Thomas. You know the way. The way is a person. The way is talking to you. The way is sitting right in front of you. So over time we begin to trust Jesus with all of our which way questions. Which way, Lord? Which is the way of life? As way, truth and life, Jesus is dressing is addressing all of life, not just the afterlife. He's interested in the abundant life right now. God invented and created marriage. He wants you to thrive in marriage. God's a worker before the fall. Your job is not under the curse. Your job is pre-fall. Read your Bible. Go back to Genesis. You are designed to be a worker in the image of God. The way is a person. You know the way because you know Jesus. If you uh, invite me over to your house, I haven't been there before, and you say, Do you know the way? Please don't go into a long informed way of there's this big tree, that's not where you're going to turn, there's a dumpster, you're going to pass that. Don't even worry about the dumpster. Get to this street and then turn at the next one. I don't need any of that. Some people love those kinds of markers, right? Here's what I tell them I say, Look, I don't know the way, but I know who does. Who is it? Siri. Now, I have mine in British female voice just because it's really funny to hear her talk. But I just asked Siri the way. Siri knows where you live. You don't need to tell me where you live. I will will tune out. You start telling me which way to go, I will tune out. Unless you know definitively that Google Maps and Apple Maps has it wrong, I'm just going to say, don't even tell me. I, I, I know who does. Now, here's what turns out. This is all from yesterday. It turns out that the British... Lady that lives in my phone also knows exactly how many seconds are in a day. We asked her that yesterday. Turns out that this Siri can solve an argument between a husband and a wife over some James Taylor lyrics. You can see how my Saturday went. Um, what else? Um, Eli makes this comment about how long it takes to walk to Lake Tahoe. And I'm like, hmm. I think it takes take longer. Hey, Siri. And so Siri knows the answer to that. He was dead on. He looked it up ahead of time as a joke. I'm like, that was pretty good. <laughs> All right, so in getting to know Jesus, and, and again, in these, it's his own words, these I am statements, I am learning the way to go. I asked a friend of mine who's a really incredible manager and gets paid a lot of money in the Silicon Valley to be a great leader. I said, hey, I've got some leadership challenges, some leadership questions. He said to me this. He said, you know what? As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, he knows me really well. He says, Dave, just, just, by being, just by being a Christian, you already know 90% of what you need for all leadership management discussion questions. It was so encouraging. It was so true. I thought, yeah, you're right. Of course. I fundamentally know the way that the world works. I fundamentally know how to not lord it over people. doesn't mean I, I do it right all the time. But in terms of what I already need to know, I already know Jesus, so I already know the way. It's not just the way to go, like directions. It's the way to go as the means to get there, and then think about that party. What to do once you get there? Okay, so I got to the job. I got to marriage. I got to kids. I got to this dream location I wanted to. I got out of my health crisis. I got out of my financial crisis. Now What? Jesus shows us the way, not just directionally, but the means of how to get there. So pardon the pun, but let's dive into Peter's little missions trip out onto the sea when he walks on water, okay? The question he's pondering and all those in the boat with him are this, how on earth is Peter going to get to Jesus? Now, if you know the story, that's really funny because why? There's no earth to walk on. They're on the boat. They're on a lake. Jesus says this, uh, or Peter says this, he says, if it is you, Jesus, what does he say? Command me to come to you. If it is you, command me to come to you. Peter was discerning the source of the voice. He wanted to know if this is the one that he thought it was. Jesus, if it's really you, that's enough for me. Command me. Now, though he didn't know how to walk on the raging sea, right? No community college course on that. No do-it-yourself thing on YouTube. He he couldn't figure that one out at all. He knew the person who knew how to walk on the sea. So it wasn't a directional thing. If it is you, tell me to come to you. But then how am I going to get there? He goes to the person who knows how to do it. And that was enough for him to act. A simple request, command me to come to you. So here's the action for us, you guys. Look for the invitation from Jesus, the command from Jesus, then trust that He'll give you what you need to get there. If you come to me and you're married and you say, I'm not sure I married the right girl, I said, Did you do a vow before the Lord? Yes, then you did. Now fulfill the vow. If God calls you to do some things, and we know some unequivocal things that God's called all of us to do: walk in purity, run from sexual immorality, treat all your stuff like it's a stewardship and you're the steward, not the owner. Right? All of these things. We don't need more Bible study on that. Trust that God will enable you the means to follow through on that. I tell people this all the time at Foster the Bay meetings. We are calling Christians to enter the hard work of foster care. We're calling Christians to obey a command, not looking for volunteers to meet a need. If I were to go around calling volunteers to meet a need in foster care, I'd have a bunch of people angry at me later on, going, what the heck, this is really hard. This isn't like any of the movies. I am calling Christians to obey a command. Care for orphans and widows in their distress. You see that God sets the lonely in the families. You go do the same. You've been adopted into his family. Give your life to this. All right, number three. The way is exclusive. Only one person fits the prophecies. It's Jesus. Only one said and did signs that point to God. It's Jesus. Only one rose from the grave three days after he de- died, just like he predicted. It's Jesus. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. Is this a tiny, small idea that Jesus sort of one off and maybe he didn't mean what he said? No. This is a major theme running through the scriptures. Remember how we look at Jesus as being, being in Jesus is like being in the ark of Noah? What was the path to Noah's Ark? There was a ramp you're either in or you're out. That seems really harsh, unloving, and intolerant. It's reality. Reality is that way. Jesus says exclusively, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Acts 4.12, soon after Jesus departs the early church, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The way is exclusive, 1 Timothy 2, 5, for there, is, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for us all. Role player games, anyone into those? Let me see hands if we have that, RPGs. Yeah, I, I know there's one, get your hand up. Um, I'm not going to embarrass you, don't worry. These are huge, Right? RPGs are huge, and here's why. I've got got sons. It's just a massive thing. People love to pick their own story rather than have it just dictated to them. There's something about participating in the adventure and sort of getting lost in this world. We love the illusion of control. I think this is why we can get lost in this. I think it's why it's such a massive business. We love the illusion of control. But reality is rather uncaring and rather unaccommodating in our desire for control and our desire for choices and options. Man, we're a culture that loves options. Let me show you a chart. Here's a chart of world religions. It's to sort of like help you make sense of the world's religions. I know it's hard in this room to see that. Oh, it's not, not too bad. But there it is. There's some of the major world religions. Lots of options here, right? When you look at world religions... And you sort of think about the classes and how it's taught. Here's what's interesting about this particular image. Not every image was like this, but this is fairly typical. Here's what's really curious to me. They got all their boxes filled in, who originated, who's the founder, who's the God, who's the follower, what's the holy language, holy building, leader, book, festivals. You know what they're missing? The basic description of the truth. Every one of these ways, every one of these paths says this is how the world works. And this is how you fit into it. Every one of these promises a way to life, a way to happiness, a way to reward, a way to avoid death. Every one of them. And they're all different. This chart says nothing of that. That's the most foundational, fundamental thing. The teaching. The basic explanation of how the world works. Now, in the spirit of a choose-your-own-adventure game, I came across this image, and it actually cracked me up. It's a flowchart for choosing your own religion. If you're done with your last one, or if you've never had one, you feel like jumping in and trying it out, you start with how many gods do you want to worship? You might say, wow, I live in the Silicon Valley. A lot of people don't worship any god. None. I'll pick none. Are you rich and insane? Yes. Be a Scientologist. Ding, 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 ding! Sweet, that's my new—that's my new religion. How about a second one? How many gods do you want to worship? I'll pick one. How do you feel about bacon? Well, I love bacon. Are you a naturally annoying person? Yes. Do you think underwear can be magical? Nope. Jehovah's Witnesses for you. Do you see how this works? I sat here; I just was cracking up my office. Now Christians aren't immune to this. Christianity's on here as well. Uh, are you a naturally annoying person? No. Uh, Then be a boring, generic Christian. (laughs) I just had a lot of fun with this. Um, It's actually hysterical, but then it's not. It's like really, really funny, but then it's not. Because the truth is unbending. Here's one of the great lies that people believe. If I believe in something, I'm good. If you ask someone, do you have faith? That's an important question, but what's the far more important question? Faith in what? That's Jesus' point right here. It doesn't matter that you have faith, but in whom you have faith. The way is a person. The truth is a person. Life goes through a person, and no one else fits the bill. So here's what that means. All religions, all ways that assign Jesus a role different from what he says about himself is a lie. It is not bringing people to God; it is leading them to their death. Not enough to say, "Oh, you believe in Jesus? I do too." What does that mean? This was my Uber driver on the way to the airport in Indianapolis a few weeks ago. We talked about Jesus. I got into some of the exclusivity of him at the very end. He's like, "I, I, 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 I praise Jesus too." He was a science and philosophy. I mean, he was a religion and philosophy major. He had so much coming out of his mouth and head. He was a great guy to talk to. I really enjoyed my conversation with him. But he kind of threw into Jesus at the end. Him too. Cover all my bases. The way, the truth, and the life. It's exclusive. We're just going to go a little bit long here. If you need to get up and go, seriously, I'll keep talking. Get up and go. But I just, I want to give this to you. This is really important to me. Uh, You can tune off anytime at, at home. See you if you have to go, it's time. Um, but let me just say this, Jesus is the litmus test for everything else. Do you want to know if a spirit is from God or not? What is that sense? What is that feeling? 1 John 4, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether, whether they are for, from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. There's a way that seems right to a man but in the end it leads to death by this first john says you will know the spirit of god every spirit that confesses that jesus christ has come in the flesh is from god and every spirit that does not confess jesus is not from god this is the spirit of the antichrist which you heard was coming and now is already in the world do you hear the urgency of this the life and deathness of this well god told me are you sure If it's you, Jesus, I can't quite see you through the storm. If it's really you, command me to come to you. That's what Peter says. He's testing the spirits. How about this? Should I do this activity? Should I think these thoughts? Should I say those words? Here's the short litmus test. Can you attach Jesus' name to that activity? Do you joyfully celebrate that God is in those thoughts with you? Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true. Whatever is noble, does it fit that list? Does that activity have the name Jesus attached to it joyfully, or is it some sort of a weird fit? Colossians three seventeen and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not turn to your eight ball, your horoscope, your verse of the day, or your own wisdom. Turn to Jesus. Believe in Him. Last one, number four. The way is personal and communal. What does that mean? I hope to explain it. The way is personal and communal. It means that we don't get in when others decide to walk the way, but when we trust the way. And then once on that way, we belong to one another. We join a church family. God doesn't give us new life. We're not born again and then left on our own. We are born again into a family. Do you see that each one must be born again individually? That's why the way is personal. But the way is communal. God doesn't leave us as orphans. Look around you, your brothers and sisters in this room. This is your eternal family. The way is personal and communal. At the climax of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Indy has to pass three tests. He's trying to reach the Holy Grail. He's trying to save his dying father. What's the first test? The first test is breath of God. He's walking down this corridor. He has to bow at just the right time or else a giant rotating blade is going to like take his head off. Spoiler alert, he passed the test. Okay? It's been enough time. If you haven't seen it by now, sorry, I'm just going to ruin the movie. He makes it. Of course he makes it. He's Indiana Jones. Second test. The second test is the word of God. Remember, he's there and he has to spell out God's name in Latin. Good thing he studied Latin and paid attention because if he got one wrong letter in the wrong order, he'd fall to his death. Well, of course he makes it. Now the third test is the most dramatic and the most difficult. It wouldn't be the climax of the movie if it weren't, right? If the third one were easy, that's kind of dumb. So the third one's the hardest one. What's the third one? The path of God. The path of God. So, he gets to the edge of this cliff. There's probably a hundred foot chasm between him and this door to the Holy Grail. And it shows down. What's down? About a thousand feet. You just can't even see the bottom. This giant chasm between him and the door. And then these words are there. Only in the leap from the lion's head will he prove his worth. And then Jones thinks, this is impossible. No one could make this jump. And the father's saying, believe, boy, believe. And so what is Indiana Jones? You guys remember it if you saw it. Dramatically, he gets to the edge and he puts a foot out like this and he puts all his weight and there is a little step down like that and he finds himself being held up by an invisible force. Takes another step and another step. And then just sort of brilliantly, brilliant movie making, is it sort of angles to the side, and there was a path there all along that sort of looks like the rock, and you couldn't possibly see it unless you first just trusted and took a step of faith. The writer of Hebrews says this, without faith, it is impossible to what? To please God. You don't know the way of Jesus? The way of Jesus is faith. Is it blind faith? No. Is it a rash decision? All right, let's just run and try jumping. No. It was a reasoned step of faith. That step out of the boat, that step of Indiana Jones, that's a beautiful picture of what we are called to. The way named Jesus requires faith. No one can make this for you. No one takes that step for you. If you have not made that step, you are in dire danger. You are lost according to Jesus. He says, come to me, all of you, who are weary and heavy laden. With what? With all the choices I've made, all the ways I've made that are leading to my death. And I'll give you rest. I'll give you life. Band, come on up. We have some songs that are just stunning in their fittingness of, uh, of the morning. Jonathan, I want to just give you freedom to lead us in a couple of those. And, uh, and as they do... I want you to ponder at this table in this place where Jesus is talking in this passage saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life sat Judas. The path of Judas was preaching. But it came to a moment where his path very, very evidently diverged from the other 11 disciples. You see, on the front end, he was saying all the same things that they were saying. He went all the same places, he ate all the same food, did all the same ministry, made all the same little peddly piddly mistakes, but in the end his path diverged. Proverbs three five and eight through eight says this Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Friends, Judas' sad end embodies the opposite of this. Judas trusted in himself with all his heart. Judas did not lean on the Lord's understanding. Judas acknowledged himself. He was wise in his own eyes. He did not fear the Lord, but turned toward evil because he was a bad guy and wanted to have a terrible life? No, because there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. Would you just close your eyes for a moment, and as we sing, I would invite you to let God speak to you. Take a time of reflection to say, God, let me consider my way, see if there's any wicked way in me. And then use this for a time of repentance. What does repent mean? It literally means to turn around, change direction. And even in the lyrics of these songs, let there be restoration. As his disciples, you already know the way. Because you follow Jesus, you already know how to live. As apprentices of him, you already know what is true. So just lean into that. Continue in that. You are able. You know the direction and the means because you know Jesus.